Good morning, brothers and sisters. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, no, no, not yet. I just want to first say thank you. It's great to be here this morning. Um, I want to also thank the worship team again. You guys, I always feel like you open up the doors to my heart and to allow the Holy Spirit to touch, to touch me and to take those praises up to God. So worship team, just thank you. And we also want to make sure that we pray for our senior pastor. Dr. Lincoln is not feeling well. He, him and, and the first lady uh, caught a bug, and so I think they're getting over it. Um, and Dr. Lincoln, let's just pray that he's, his voice is preserved so that he's, he's able to deliver the word today at uh, Pastor Peretti's anniversary. Um, but I also want us to, now that we're almost done with uh, collecting the tithes and the offerings, uh, to do an opening prayer before the sermon. And so I've asked Pastor Paul to please do that. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you and we ask you, we ask you for your anointing. We ask you for the unction of God to fall upon our brother Kennedy. Lord, that, that we would be able to hear the voice behind the voice. It's the voice behind the voice that matters so much in our lives. And so we ask you, Father, to come. We invite you. We invite you. We honor you to come and to speak to our lives. Speak into our lives, Father. Show us the pictures of the people we need to love. Show us, show us the pictures of the places we need to, to mend and heal and, and grow, Lord. Just, just come, Lord. Come, Lord, and speak to our hearts. We thank you for Kennedy. We thank you for all the work you're doing in his life. And, Lord, we are... We are anticipating your word to flow through him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. So I love prayer, and we have some uh, masterful uh, folks that are kings of prayer, kings and queens of prayer, and so I can never get enough prayer. So I just thank you. Um, so this morning is going to be quick. Uh, Dr. Lincoln has asked us to make it short so that everybody has enough time to get out and go have lunch and then be able to attend um, the, uh, Pastor Peretti's uh, anniversary at his church at 3 o'clock. So I think it's going to be about maybe 15 to 20 minutes. Um, so this morning we're going to uh, look, take a look at Matthew 18. And the topic is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And as we listen about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, I want us to be thinking about really um, how this speaks into our hearts about how to be a better Christian. How should we be behaving as Christians? So we read uh, in Matthew 18, chapter 18, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So the disciples are trying to figure out who is going to be assigned the highest post next to the Messiah. So the right hand 
the right-hand person, the right-hand man, is usually the person of most trust. And that's what the disciples are asking. But let, let us take a step back and really ask ourselves, what is wrong with this question? What do you mean who's going to be the greatest? These are 12 disciples, and they're asking who's going to be the greatest. As Christians, our fundamental value is to be concerned about God and other people, right? Jesus doesn't teach us to be concerned about ourselves, does he? But the question is centered around themselves. Is God at the center of that question? No. What's at the center of that question? Their ego, right? Their ego. Now, before we judge them so harshly, let's think about it. You, me, today, are we not doing the same thing? Each one of us is asking the same question because each one of us is focused on what? 18 hours of the day, we're focused on us in one way, shape, or form. And the other, well, the 16 hours, the other eight hours, we're supposed to be sleeping. And when we're sleeping, we're probably having dreams about ourselves. <laughs> so when you look at social media, and I'm just going to name the dinosaurs because I don't really use it, but Facebook. People probably don't use Facebook that much anymore. Uh, twi uh, Twitter, um, Instagram, and all those other new social sites that Sir, I'm sure, knows, but I have no clue. What are they about? The selfie. I think I heard the other, one of the, in one of the sermons, it was either Pastor Paul or Dr. Lincoln talking about the selfie, the selfie generation. What's the selfie about? It's about showcasing us to everybody else. We want to be the center of our universe, and we want to be the center of everyone else's universe. And sometimes when you look at those Facebook pages, you go, wow, who's that? You know the person, but that face, the, the life on Facebook has no relation to the real person. So we're creating a lie that we want to sell to other people. That's how much we're centered about on, on ourselves. Everyone here is really most of the time thinking about what is going to happen to me? How can I get ahead? How can I get ahead at work? How can I get a boyfriend, a girlfriend? How can I make more money? Who here is not thinking about how can I make more money? Okay, a few. All right. I'm not in that group. I should be. Um, how can I get more power? We're so selfish. So before we judge these apostles, let's, let's realize that that's, that's us. We are consumed with, with our very own existence. But the most important thing, as we just heard in worship, is what? God created us to do what? to worship God, and to love others. What's the greatest commandment in the Bible? Isn't it, what is it? 
to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And what is the golden rule? To love others as you would have them love you. So it's all about God and others. It, it's not about us. And again, just to bring it home, love in action, when Dr. Lincoln talks about love in action throughout the whole year, and when we listen from, uh, from Pastor Paul, it's all about loving others through our actions. Loving God and loving others through our actions. That's what love in action is. But again, how can we demonstrate it if all the time we're thinking about us? So let's read on Matthew uh, 18.2. This is Jesus' response to the disciples. And Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. So, where's our little child? I thought we had Aaliyah. We always use Aaliyah. Ah, okay. Well, picture Aaliyah here. All right? She's in the middle. And you have 12 disciples around this child. So Jesus doesn't respond to the disciples right away. What, what does Jesus do? He paints a picture for them because this picture is worth a thousand words. When we're looking at this child, they're probably scratching their head going, Jesus, how, how does this relate to which one of us is going to be the greatest? So this child, Jesus is, without saying a single word, he's saying, look at that child. That child is humble. That child is easily taught, unlike you and me. That child doesn't desire authority, unlike adults. That child is free of malice, unlike you and unlike me. That child is teachable, unlike a lot of us adults, right? And that child is willing to depend on his parents, his or her parents, 100%. That child is not saying, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to feed myself. I'm going to clothe myself. No, that child is asking mommy and daddy for everything. That child knows that they cannot do that. But we adults somehow think that we can do anything by ourselves and that we only need God when we're in trouble. So now in Matthew 18.3, if we continue reading, it says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye should not enter into the kingdom of heaven. God is telling them, he's telling us, the only way to get into the kingdom of heaven is to become a little child. We have to get to the point where we realize we are helpless, where we totally depend on God and we totally trust God. 
And we need to pray to become humble, to become simple, and to take our will and give it up to God. So again, we continue reading in Matthew 18, 4. Who should, whosoever therefore should humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And again, we see this in the Bible. It's, it's demonstrated a lot of times, but especially with Paul. Paul was never one of the 12 original apostles, right? Paul never met Jesus, but Jesus revealed himself when Paul was on his way to Damascus. And when Paul was called Saul, Paul did many, many heinous things. He was holding the clothes when they were stoning the first martyr, Christian martyr, Stephen. He was chasing and persecuting Christians up and down. But through this man, God exhibited a tremendous amount of grace. Through this man, God reached converts in the hundreds and the thousands, preached the gospel, planted churches. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But Paul was the greatest of sinners. He declared himself. And Paul was also the least of the least of the saints, of Christians. Paul did never consider himself worthy, but God used him because of that humbleness. So we need to always remember that humility and being humble. Some people think that person's kind of shy, kind of humble. That's not a bad thing. It's the person that thinks himself more than who's not on the right track. So be humble and always be willing to take your will, and this is not easy, be able to take your will and say, God, I'm giving my will, I'm just throwing it away, but your will is going to become my will. And let's think about that. Can you really, really say that God's will is your will? Or are you saying God's will is my will as long as, as, long as I'm getting what I want, as long as I'm, you know, getting the job I want, making the money I want, as long as I get the boyfriend or girlfriend I want, as long as I get the friends that I want, then yeah, God's will is my will. And a lot of times when things are not going our way, we're like, we just don't know how to give it up. But the key point here is let's not confuse being challenged with being abandoned. God may be put, putting us through some challenges, but that doesn't mean he has abandoned us. So always make sure that you just say, God, your will is my will. And that is very, very hard for people like myself. Now, how does God want us to treat Christians? So we continue reading Matthew 18, verse 5, and it says, And who should receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. The little child here now is talking about the new convert, the new Christian, the young Christian, the little one. And Jesus is saying, If you receive the fellow believer, you receiveth me. Wow. It is that important to Jesus that if you receive that little one, the young Christian or the old Christian, you're receiving me. Now let's read, continue reading Matthew 18, 18 uh, verse 6. But 
Who shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? It were better for him that a millstone were hanged around about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So Jesus is saying, if you even think about injuring, causing to stumble this young Christian who just came into my kingdom, it would have been better for you never to have been ex born to exist. So Jesus is not saying, hey, if you mess with my little one, it's not a good idea. It's not going to be good for you. I don't, he's not saying that. Jesus is taking off the gloves and saying, stop, listen to me. Do not even think about hurting my little one or causing, causing him to stumble. Because if you do, it is better for you to have never even come into this earth. How many times did Jesus talk to us that way? So when I read that passage, I go, whoa, what, why is this so serious? And I think what we need to understand is that God is trying to, Jesus is saying, you shouldn't be afraid of man because men can do what? Men can take your body. Men can kill you. That's the worst that men can do. But God can take your body. And God can, can also take your soul and commit it to burning hell for an eternity. So who are you really going to be afraid of? Men or God? Now, let me tone this down. God, when reading Matthew 18, he's just saying, I love you. He's showing us how much he loves us. But he's also saying, don't mess with my little ones. God has our backs. God has us in his hands. We shouldn't be afraid. No one can mess with us. Now, Matthew 18, 11, and I'm going to end with this slide. It says, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. This is another major reason why we should not mess with the little ones, with his little ones. Because the Lord died for us as individuals. Now what that means is that God sent his only son. Now he didn't send his oldest son. He didn't send the youngest son or the middle child with all the, supposedly all the trauma. He sent his only son. Now, how many of us here have children? Raise your hand. How many have more than one child? Okay, you have, so you got a couple of spare ones, right? So would you take one of those spare ones and send them to die for somebody else? You got more than one. Well, gee, well God had one son, and that one son came down willingly and stretched himself on that cross for you and for me. That one son. So does he love his little ones? Think about it. You can't even send one of your spare ones. I would never consider my children spare. But think about it. So he loved each and every one of us one at a time. 
He loved us one at a time. We are that special. We're not second or third or fourth. Every single one of us, he's loving one at a time. And we're feeling like we're his number one, and we're like we're his only one. Only God has that kind of love. Because with my kids, I struggle to show, like, I don't want, I don't want to show any preference. Nope, I can, if I praise you, i got to praise you too. And I, sometimes I'm like, this is so hard. But God loved us one at a time. When one sinner comes to repentance, it is in the Bible that it says what? All the angels rejoice. So God redeemed us through his son. Through his grace and by our faith in Jesus, we are redeemed. We're made holy so that we can be in front. We, we, we have the ability to stand in front of God. And because of that, we're saved. And God does not want a single one of us to perish. So Jesus is our shepherd. The shepherd is always going to go look for that lost sheep. He's going to abandon the 99 because they're safe. But Jesus came for the lost one. And who is the lost sheep? That's you and that's me. So remember this. Jesus loves and God loves his little ones. We are in his hands. We are protected. Nobody can mess with us. So before I ask Brother Daryl to come down and play a song uh, to see us out, I'm going to close us out in prayer. And his brother, Daryl, oh, he's there, okay. So let us bow our heads and pray. Father God, our protector and our savior, thank you for blessing our lives every single day with your miracles. Father, thank you for allowing us to serve you as Christians. Lord, may we hear your words in Matthew 18 to us today. Help us not be like the 12 apostles asking who among us is the greatest in your kingdom. But instead, Lord, help us understand that the most important thing is to honor you and to worship you, Lord, and to love you with all our hearts and soul. Help us understand what it means to become a little child and to be reborn again as a little child of faith. Help us be humble. Help us be simple. Help us surrender our will to you, Lord. Father God, we are totally, totally, totally dependent on you. Let us not ever believe that we can depend on ourselves. We can't do anything without you, Lord. We cannot do anything by ourselves without you in our life and in our hearts. Help us serve you every day of our life in a way, Lord, that honors you and that makes you proud to be our Father. So, Lord, we ask this in your Son, your only Son, Jesus, in his name. Amen.